Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's happening? It is uh, Friday. Happy Friday. Friday, August 25th, 2023. 2023. That's right. Yep. And uh, pop quiz. We're here. Pop w- quiz. What's your favorite artist and why is it Taylor Swift? It's not ever Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, I don't it's know, never, bro. It's never, ever, 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 <laughs> ever, ever been Taylor Swift. And it's not going to get back together at any point. Nope. So I, look, I'm shaking that question off. <laughs> what about that t-shirt you came in wearing? It was a really tight pink shirt that said Swifty. This is slander. <laughs> you, <laughs> I, it's just so form fitting. You are perjuring yourself before our podcast the audience. Most tight fitting shirt I've ever seen on a male, uh, but you rocked it and it said Swifty for life. This is false. These are lies. <laughs> Everything said in secret will be declared from the rooftops and this truth will come out that that is not. Okay. So who's your favorite art? Cause we've been through the Psalms. Music is important. Who are some of your go-tos? Like, Oh, I love their voice. I love their music. Who, who are those people for years now? Shane and Shane have been near the top of that list for They're me. So good. Yeah. Man. Their harmonies are so tight. They are so tight. They are. And I appreciate their heart behind their music. Like they, in fact, they have a couple of CDs out that are out CDs, albums. Wow. Tapes. They've got a couple of eight tracks, a couple out. vinyls out. Yeah. That are, um, written just from the Psalms. So that's kind of cool Yeah, that they take it from there. So I really do enjoy them a lot. There's a band called the Gray Havens that are lesser known. Gray Havens. I I like them. They're more folksy husband-wife duo. Oh, that's fun. I like those. uh, They're talented. They're they're good. Um, Yeah, Sleeping at Last is another band that's out there that's just kind of easy to to listen to. They've got some instrumentals out there as well. Sleeping at Last. Yeah, that are are fun. So those are just a few of my favorite songs. Fans, <laughs> yeah, these are my favorite things. One yeah, song yours? I've been digging. I, I don't. That's hard because I love a lot of music. I, lo, I, I have a, a eclectic punt. taste, ladies and gentlemen. This is no, called a punt. No, okay. I this mean, is I called. Can, I'm going to ask the question and then I'm not going to answer. I the can question. name artists, but I, I would feel uh, later on I'd be like, oh, I forgot to mention so and so and so and so. So right have now, to apologize to them. I've been digging. I would. I've been digging Mercy Me song with Phil Wickham called uh, Then Christ, Christ Came. Came. So good. Oof. I was playing it on repeat this morning. It was so good. I was just like, oh, I got to sing this again. I got to hear this again. I got to sing it again. Uh, Is I, that corporate singable? You know, I was thinking about that this morning, dude. Honestly, I was like, oh, can we do this? There's there's a couple, you know, poetic lyrics. And I'm like, well, but we've been going to the Psalms and the Psalms are pretty poetic. I'm thinking about it. I'll tell you, I'm thinking about it. But I do like uh, Skillet. And unlike most people, I, I was not in the skillet in high school. Like that wasn't my thing. So you've rediscovered them I, or you've discovered, I've discovered them, them as, a, as a matter of fact. And, and I've, I've come to really appreciate their, their catalog. Okay. Fair. Fair. Skillet. Huh? But I do like Shane and Shane. I love, I mean, from the way back when. Yeah. Oh, I ran into Phil Wickham before he was famous. Did you really? Know yeah. So he had a few obscure albums out. A lot of Jesus is my girlfriend kind of music. Do you remember those days? Yep. Jesus so, is my boyfriend or boyfriend girlfriend yeah that idea yeah. that 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 concept um, really sappy sentimental worship music which i'm back in the day man i was like oh it's a really cool song so uh, i was in a escondido walking down a street to take a, my mother-in-law out for a birthday lunch and we passed this parisian cafe where 
the sidewalk jutted out or the, uh, the patio jutted out near the sidewalk and I'm passing by and I see this young guy reading a thick book. Couldn't tell what it was, but I saw his face and I, and I stopped after passing him by and Kristen and my step uh, mother-in-law rather are like, is everything okay? And I, I have this quizzical look in my face and I, I backtracked. I think I would literally walk backward and I said, is your name Phil? <laughs> and he said, yeah, 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 it is. And I'm like, oh man, it's nice to meet you. This is my wife and this is my mother-in-law. And we just started talking a few, a few minutes, uh, exchanged uh, pleasantries. He was a really nice guy. Yeah. I liked him. It's a weird flex to let everybody know that you knew who Phil Wickham was before he got famous. I mean, and I don't want to say that I text him every day and give him song <laughs> ideas, but I mean, then Christ came. I, I, I want to, I want to take full credit for that. Okay. Okay. Did you ever know the artist Charlie Hall? No, the I Charlie didn't. Hall band. Okay. Oh, so. no, I know who he is. Yes. I knew yes. He, not in the same way. I know Phil though. Right. We, like, we have a tight relationship, me and Phil. So, I saw Phil open for Charlie Hall before wow. Phil was anything and he was just and it was here in Texas and no he was kidding. this guy in black skinny jeans with a white v-neck t-shirt and yeah. you know a pompadour haircut. Let's <laughs> try remember that. And we were all sitting there kind of going who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Little did we know Phil would be the 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 big one between the two. Dude, he's he's crushed everybody. He has. He has. Well, we are we are talking about the songs. We're talking about the Psalms and right. uh let's do it. We are in 127, 128, 129 and 130. Nope. 124 nope. through 127, buddy. 124 through 127. I was thinking about tomorrow and I was mm. also thinking about other things. We're in 124 through 127. So that's right. I was just keeping you on your toes and successful. Yeah. Good. There you go. Hey, Psalm 124. Uh, we are still in the songs of ascents. And so these are songs that are sung as we, they were going up to worship in Jerusalem. And that's what's happening in Psalm 124. And I wrote down uh, three words next to Psalm 124, soli deo gloria, mm. uh, which means to God alone be the glory. And that seems to be the theme of this psalm. It's a reminder, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would be not not in a good situation. We wouldn't be where we are. And so this is uh, confessing and acknowledging that God is our source of hope. Our help, verse eight, is in the name of the Lord who, who made heaven and earth. Good thing for us to remember all the time, especially as we're going to worship, that God alone reserves, deserves the glory. Amen. 125 then is uh, a song expressing the confidence that that Israel had and comparing their confidence as the people of God um, to Mount Zion. So if you picture a mountain, imagine any mountain that you've ever been to before and you think about how immovable that seems and Israel is saying we're like that. If you go to Israel today, you can see uh, Mount Zion. There's a, a cool uh, tunnel that you go through and you come out and then there's, there's Jerusalem right in front of you. Mm. And it's a, it's a majestic scene. It really is. But it's a, a good reminder in that the people said, we're there, we're established. And then even the mountains surrounding Zion provided it added security because any invading troops or armies would have to traverse some pretty uh, treacherous terrain to be able to get to, to Jerusalem there. And so they were safe and they were secure. And that's what the psalmist is comparing Israel to as they are loved by the Lord and we're there and nothing can, can hurt us there. Man, I like the, I like the imagery in verse one. Those who trust in the Lord are like that mountain, immovable, steady, protected, constant. Right. That's uh, that's the truth for anyone who's in Christ. We've right. Got a steady, firm foundation, as the Psalms say. Right. Psalm one twenty six is uh, if you've ever had the the sentiment, oh man, I wish we could go back to. Like I follow on on Instagram a couple of accounts from the eighties and nineties, and they'll throw up nostalgic posts all the time, and I'm like, oh man, yeah. I miss going to Blockbuster and just walking up and down the aisles or something like the that. Smell you know? too. Do you remember yeah, the smell? Totally. A hundred percent. Well, Psalm 126 is is the Israelites saying, man, I, I wish we could go back to Blockbuster. 
um, <laughs> so to speak. Did not see that. <laughs> you missed that? <laughs> what, what translation are you reading? Um, no, but they're saying, man, it would be great to go back to the days when God's mercy was tangible, when we saw it, when we felt it, um, and we want to get back there. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Make it like it used to be uh, back in the, the days when, when things were good. And we don't know exactly which days are in mind here, although we can imagine probably looking back fondly on the days of King David, the days of King Solomon, um, and uh, and longing to get back to those days. And so Psalm 126, as they were going up to Zion, as they were going up to Jerusalem, they were thinking back to when Jerusalem used to be in a much better state than she was at this time, apparently, and longing for the Lord to restore that. What kind of tears in verse five are being referred to here? Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. What do you think is happening? Uh, aside from, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations that they're going through. Well, in what sense though? Because I, I was turning this over in my mind and kind of trying to figure out, okay, in what sense do my tears that I cry over this or that, the sorrows that I have, and in what way do those result or harvest shouts of joy. Yeah, I was unclear about the connection, and in, in that I, I'm not sure if I could say, "Oh, I see the I see the relation." When I sow tears of sorrow, joy comes necessarily or eventually. That seems to be the suggestion in verse five, which is a biblical concept, right? Though those who weep in the the night, joy comes in the morning. Sorrow may last for the the night, but joy comes in the morning, right? And and even the concept of God bottling up our tears, I think there's a, a, a uniqueness about the the imagery of weeping and tear, tears in the scriptures. And what is interesting is, is you go all the way to Revelation 21 and tears show up again, but for the last time ever, when it, he says there that, that God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so I, I think there's an eschatological element here. I don't think there's a, a present tense element here where the, they will reap shouts of joy, but I think the shouts of joy come from when all that is wrong is is undone, when all that causes us to mourn is is vanquished, when we're finally with the Lord forever. And there is no more sorrow. There is no more mourning. There are no more tears. So um, that would be my take on it. That makes sense. I think I think the the burden that I was trying to figure out is, okay, uh, the sowing and reaping principle in scripture, you know, you reap what you sow, the uh, intention behind this. So maybe I'm just overthinking it in terms of uh, the poetic imagery, but that makes sense. Right. Psalm 127 then is uh, our last one uh, this morning, at least, Song of Ascents. Again, this one of Solomon. So here's one that, that Solomon wrote. And this is unique because Solomon uh, was the one under whose reign the temple was built. And so here he starts out by saying, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So here you had Solomon, who had one of the most successful reigns of any Israelite king, one of the most peaceful reigns of any Israelite king. He's talking about the building of the temple, and he's also talking about peace. He's saying, you know, unless the Lord is watching over the city, the watchman, whose job it was to, to evaluate and look for any threats impending or, or approaching the city, he's doing his job in vain because he can watch all night long. But if the Lord wants the city to fall, the city's going to fall. Mm. So the point and the principle with both of those opening illustrations is that human effort without God's sovereign ordination is vanity. God is the one that's that's ordaining everything to come about successful right. or unsuccessful. And so, you know, we can try and, and we think about that with our own house. Sometimes we talk about the household that we have or building our house, our families. That's a good principle for us to take into account there is, is if we're trying to do that on our own efforts, raise successful kids or, or kids that are going to be um, going to have, have good success from a world standpoint, it, it matters more that, that we're raising them in a godly manner and that we are seeing that God is building our homes. God is building our families. God is helping us to raise up our kids and we're pointing them towards the Lord. That's where uh, true value is going to be found as we think about that as, as parents. Amen. I love the imagery of uh, 
eating the bread of anxious toil. It's in vain that you do all these things, a frenetic activity of those who feel that burden of performing. I must do this myself. I must ensure that the city is safe, that my family is built up in these mm. ways. The bread of anxious toil is produces illness and sickness. Instead, what God gives us is rest. He gives us sleep. And Mm -hmm. I love that in verse two, connecting it all together. Those who are able to trust him don't need to turn about anxiously. They can be confident. God's got a good plan and purpose. And I'm going to, I'm going to sit and be comfortable in that. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like the, the family uh, connection there is made not only just by us and this, but also by Solomon. Look at verses three and following. He talks about children as a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, uh, mm. arrows in the hands of a warrior, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. And, uh, and so that's the uh, pastor. I'd, I'd, I'd say mission accomplished. <laughs> right? I think our families um, are relatively small for most of human history. I mean, in, in today's day and age, yes, we do have large families. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, but on that note, right, maybe you're listening to this and, and you say, well, my wife and I have one and that's what God has given us or my wife and I have two or whatever. Um, or like some pastors back in Elisa Viejo or my wife and I have six. Um, <laughs> no matter how many you have, God has filled your quiver with the children he wants you to have. And the point is not the number of them, but what you do with them. Mm-hmm. And it's, are you pointing them to Christ? Are you directing them after, um, uh, godliness? Cause that's, like like arrows from the hand of a warrior where which direction are you shooting your arrows are you shooting your arrows towards christ likeness and towards godliness with everything that you're able to do towards right. that end i think also paul i mean we don't read anything about paul's physical kids but he found a son in timothy sure. he found sons and daughters in the churches that he planted mm-hmm. he calls himself a father to some of them so you may not actually have physical progeny and that's okay you can have children in the Lord. You can have sons and daughters of the faith that you can invest in and encourage in much the same way that you would do so for biological children. So take advantage of that. Amen. Yes. Well, let's get to first Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, we're in verses one through 24, uh, this, uh, this morning in today's reading, and then we'll fix it. We'll finish up. We'll pick up, pick up, finish, finish, you know finish. Let's just be efficient with their language and let's just squeeze everything together. There we go. There we go. Uh, pig Latin. Anyways, we will pick up the rest of it tomorrow. Um, but in this, uh, man, there's a lot in first Corinthians chapter seven. Yes. There's it's a quite lot. Zesty. It is. It opens up with talking about the husband and wife relationship yep. and uh, maybe push pause and, and get the little ones out of the room for a second. If you can husbands, wives out there, we'll give you do, 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 do. Okay. Why, why is that the default song? Can you just give us a different song? Uh, Cause jeopardy, right? I know. But why, who, who said jeopardy should have that spot? Alan Trebek. Alan Trebek? Jeffrey Trebek? What was his name? Alex Trebek? Alex. That's the guy's name. I'm a big... Maybe his brother Alan has something to say about this. Alex? <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Okay. So let's get Alex. Into is it Alec or Alex? Yeah. I forget. Um, Trebek. Mr. Trebek. Trebek. He's talking... Paul's talking about sex in this opening passage. Okay. And he's right into it. very direct here. And he says, look, husbands and wives should be having sex. I mean, that, that's a biblical precept and command how frequently frequently he says you should give the conjugal rights to your wife and wife to the husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body nor the husband over his own body and then he says do not deprive one another except by agreement to go to the lord in fasting and prayer so if there's a situation that comes up where man there's a, a trial going on in your life and everything and, and you need to, to to seek god's wisdom and, and you agree together hey we're, we're gonna abstain from some things to be able to do that 
fine but he says but only for a little amount of time and then come back together that satan may not tempt you sex is a a bedrock of a healthy godly marriage and here we see paul saying that this is not just for procreative purposes that there is a a design for god that that the sexual union between husband and wife should be a good thing that husbands and wives enjoy together because it's part of his design and it's also a guard against temptation for both parties involved in the marriage i remember going to a church in seminary where there was a couple who believed that it was simply for procreative rights that's an unbiblical position you can not defend that paul here is clearly saying have sex for the purpose of the relationship between the husband and wife yeah interesting here in verse four this is the only place in the new testament where it says that the wife has authority over her husband yeah she has authority over your body sir and that means that your job is to utilize your body as a means of gratifying your bride and vice versa of course you see that in in verse four on both sides right but this is an unusual situation and I, i wonder pastor pj if you've had to deal with any counseling issues on your side where the marriage bed is not being kept warm, if we could say it that way. For sure. It, it's one of the, the most readily weaponized elements of any marriage is sex and money. I mean, those two things become a weapon in conflict and marriage. And that is that is ungodly. That is wrong. That is unbiblical. And, um, and it's something that needs to be repented of immediately. It, this is meant to be something that is exercised in, in regularity between a husband and wife to, to help foster the intimacy of this union, the two becoming one flesh. Together. Okay, let's wrap fire through some of the primary problems though that we'll find with a husband sure. and wife real quick i'll just throw some at you and you can r- rapid fire response okay okay uh number one we're tired it's late we just put the kids to bed we don't we don't have the energy for this prioritize it prioritize it re rework your schedule to make this a regular part of your life um, if that means you find time in the morning when the kids are still sleeping then find that time in the morning when the kids are still sleeping, if that means that you take a lunch break and you go home because your wife is staying at home and the kids are at school, go home. And while your wife is at home and the kids are at school, if that means you're putting the kids to bed earlier that night and you're making this time, make it a priority. So should they, someone schedule it? Uh, you can. If yeah. You if that's, if that's what you need to do, then schedule it. Okay. Uh, physical, uh, physical issues, health issues, you know, uh, there could be health problems with his performance, her receptivity, different things like that. Uh, Health issues. Yeah. I think, uh, there, uh, there are seasons and, and that may be one of these, uh, uh, there are, there are times when I think what Paul's referring to here, you've got two willing or let me rephrase that. You've got two parties that are fully capable of engaging in the sexual union, right? Yeah. Sometimes you have somebody who's not, and that's a different situation. And that's not a situation where the par- party that has a, a physical hindrance health related who can't for whatever reason needs to feel guilt or shame over that. That is a situation that that probably may even involve and, and needs some counseling from one of the pastors like you or me sitting down with people and talking through case by case scenarios. But what Paul has in, in view here are two healthy people who are fully capable of engaging in the sexual relationship. Okay, last one. This might be a heavier one. Um, I struggle with attract- attractive I, I'm not as attracted to my spouse as I once was. Mm. There's a, or, or uh, on her side, you know, he, he's not willing to romance me. He's not, he's not doing the things that he did to get me to where I need to be, to be receptive, right. to be more receptive. Right. And for him, maybe, you know, oh man, she's, she's had kids or she's let herself go, or I'm just struggling to, to like her in the same way that I used to, because yeah. I'm not physically attracted in the same way. Yeah. Both answers are the same. I, I think it goes into the, the groundwork of the rest of the relationship feeds into this 
this part of the relationship. I mean, if, if you are neglecting dating one another, pursuing the relationship with one another, enjoying each other's company outside of the bedroom, then it's going to be hard to find that joy inside of the bedroom. Mm. So, uh, you know, men, you need to be dating your wives. You need to pursue, pursue them. You need to spend time with them here. Here's the other thing I'll say, men, you need to be guarding your mind, your eyes, your thought life, what you're looking at, everything else, and including the other women that you're around out in public. You need to be making sure that the sole object of your physical affection is your bride and your wife. I, I mean, I, I would go so far as men don't be commenting on the appearance of other women to your wife don't mention well hey i think she's cute over there or anything like that you don't need to, to even be entertaining those thoughts because she needs to be that object god has given her to you to be enjoyed in that capacity and so focus on her if that means you've got blinders on i used to tell our college students all the time that you need to have bouncy eyes when you go out in public especially in our culture today in other words it, you need to be ready to bounce your eyes off of uh, uh, something that that maybe they land on that they don't need to be landing on and get mm-hmm. them on something else but your wife is your primary object of affection and uh, in attraction. And so pursue her and then understand as the old saying goes that men may be microwaves, but women are crackpots. So men <laughs> put in the time, put in the effort and let's go. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. So you didn't expect to hear that on the podcast today, but there you go. Unless you read the chapter and you say, oh, I wonder if they'll, they'll hit on that. We need to hit on one more thing that's super significant. And this is a longer episode, but it's important that we get to this because this is uh, where Paul goes next. He starts to talk about marriage and divorce. And uh, one thing I want you to, to zoom in on as uh, most of this is, is probably going to be pretty straightforward from what you've read before. If you've read through the scriptures before, maybe not. And if you, if not, then email us, uh, send us a question. Maybe we can answer it in a future episode or, or one of us can get back to you on that. But I do want to touch on verse 15. The scenario here, you've got a believing wife or husband and an unbelieving spouse. So you've got a believer married to an unbeliever. Um, I think the assumption here is you had two unbelievers married at one time. At some point in time, one person gets saved. What do they do? Well, Paul says earlier, don't separate, don't divorce just because one of you got saved and the other one is still unsaved. You need to stay in the marriage and perhaps God will use your your godliness to lead that person to Christ, though that's not a guarantee. When he says earlier there that the the marriage is sanctified or that the children are sanctified, we're not talking salvation. We are talking that that uh, that this marriage is is deemed a godly thing because now there's a believing spouse involved in the union. But what happens when the unbeliever says, "I'm out. I don't want anything to do with you," and they walk away, they desert, they abandon. Paul gives a concession here and says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister, the believing brother or sister is not enslaved. In other words, you're not bound to that marriage anymore. There's a, a lot of questions. Okay, so what do we do here? And even what he says here, he says, in such cases, right? What do we? What does that mean? How do we handle that? The, the, the textbook case is, Somebody says, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. You found Jesus and I am not all about that. And so I'm leaving you. Paul gives permission here to, to let that person walk away, not to fight it. In fact, the command is even there. Let it be. So, you know, don't fight this. Don't protest this. Uh, I read on Jay Adams, who's a, a new counselor, a biblical counselor on this passage. And he even said that there's grounds here in his understanding of this passage for the believing partner to initiate the divorce in that setting. So if you've got an unbelieving spouse who leaves and walks away or comes back every, every so often, but then abandons again and is not fulfilling their role as that husband or that wife, Jay Adams said the believing spouse has an open door to pursue divorce. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready to, to rubber stamp that, but I found that that to be interesting coming from him mm-hmm. especially. But in such cases as these, there may be other cases we can think of 
physical abuse where um, one of the spouses is in jeopardy, physical danger. And abuse is a word that's been tossed around a lot in our culture today and kind of made super malleable to mean whatever we want it to mean. Mm -hmm. But I think when we're dealing, especially with physical abuse, harm to the spouse, harm to the children, we may be in a situation wherein this context would apply as well, where this would be another situation where divorce would be permissible and the believing spouse would not be enslaved. In other words, free to then pursue remarriage. And we'd be clear to suggest... No, to say strongly to you that that does not open the door to any and all potential complaints Correct. and separation offers. You're not going to be able to go into our office and say, hey, you know, I don't like his hair color anymore. I'd like to initiate a divorce. And that's trite and, and obviously ridiculous. But there's other situations that are going to feel very strong, very difficult, where I think God is calling you to stay in the marriage. Yes. And there's that's probably more often the case than not. Yes. But there are situations in such cases, to quote 1 Corinthians 7.15, where it might make sense. It might make sense, and we would do that very carefully, slowly, very prayerfully, and with a great deal of biblical examination. That would be one of the last case scenarios yes. that would occur after a long time of, uh, again, talking over the scriptures, discussing your situation, and, and landing there. But that does help us to understand there's times and places where it, w- where it would make sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the undergirding principle that we always need to bear in mind is what the scripture says, that God hates divorce. And right? he allows it because of your hardness of heart. Right. 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 And so uh, we'll just tell you, if you come into our office and sit down and say, I I think I want to divorce my my spouse, uh, our first stop is going to be, is reconciliation possible? That no matter what, no matter what is going on, our first question is going to be, is reconciliation possible? Understanding that there are situations where it's not, but the first thing that we want to point to is reconciliation. That's right. Rest of First Corinthians chapter 7, then we'll hit tomorrow. The rest of your text this morning talks about living as you're called. In other words, he's talking about, okay, identities in Christ. How does that change different things? He just talked about marriage. Now he's talking about the, the master-slave relationship. Stay where you are, circumcised, uncircumcised. Stay where you are. You don't need to change things here. Live in the condition in which you were called, but now you're living under your new identity in Christ. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Yep. Or grow where you're planted if you're not a flower. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we are grateful that you tuned in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll catch you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.